Hey guys, if you like what you're listening to, the best way to support the podcast is to hit subscribe and share it with a friend. Have you ever questioned who the toughest people on the planet are? Some might say Navy SEALs or other special forces soldiers. Others might point to professional athletes and fighters. But what about ultra marathoners? There's a good argument that the mental and physical test of running 24 plus straight hours is the most difficult human endeavor. The Leadville Trail 100 is an ultra marathon held annually on rugged trails and dirt roads near Leadville, Colorado, through the heart of the Rocky Mountains. First run in 1983, the race course climbs and descends 22,000 feet, with elevations ranging from 9,200 feet to 12,620 feet. In most years, Fewer than half the starters complete the race within the 30-hour time limit. If you value toughness and are curious about the human potential, you're going to love this episode. My guest today is Leslie Courtright. Leslie set out to prove to herself and her daughters that you could do anything you put your mind to and that girls can do insanely hard things. She completed the Leadville 100, a 100-mile race through the heart of the Rocky Mountains in 28 hours and 23 minutes under the 30-hour time cap, something that only half the runners crazy enough to attempt are able to do. The experience changed her outlook on life and the human potential, an outlook that has helped her build a photography business capturing life moments for others. I'm honored to call her a friend. Without further ado, Leslie Courtright. So I knew that I was talking to you today and I figured if I'm going to talk to Leslie, then I need to go crazy and revisit that running pain cave that Uh. I haven't had since October. So this morning I woke up before work. It's nine degrees outside, right? Uh. And the sun's coming up and I'm like, should I go for a run or should I just do like a light stretch in the basement, you know? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm talking to Leslie today. I'm going to, I'm going to run. So yeah, I put my hat on. I did on. the same I, thing. Yeah. Put my hat on and I'm like, okay. And I go out and I went hard four miles, harder than I've gone in probably three or four months. And oh, I get wow. back and, and the vapor from my head is frozen <laughs> on the top of my knit head. My eyelashes were frozen almost shut. And it wasn't snowing, but there was like icicles on my eyelashes. Yeah. My nose was frozen and uh. I had like all this ice around my lips. And uh, and I was like, well, if Leslie can run the Leadville 100, then I can run four miles hard <laughs> in nine degree cold. Listen, so. you're an ultra runner now too. So you get it. You, you know, you don't stop because of weather. Cause you never know what weather might, might uh, find you on the course. Exactly. So you grew up in Colorado. Mm-hmm. How many cold runs did you have growing up in Colorado? Oh God. More than I care to remember. Um, you know, I say that I'm, I'm a cold weather runner. So like winter time, I love winter time running. It's, it's my favorite. Um, I struggle more with heat, um, myself, but I mean, I remember, you know, growing up in Colorado, I was born in Denver. And then when I was about, I think I was newly nine, we moved up to little town, um, in the mountains called Leadville. And so what I thought were winters in Denver were really, just, you know, kind of a joke compared to then getting up to Leadville that, um, you know, it's not like Minnesota cold, but it's, you know, we would between running and cross country skiing, um, you know, and track in the spring, you know, there would be 
many days that you're running below zero. Um, either running below zero, skiing below zero. I mean, I have frostbite on my finger still to remind me you know, where I came from. So it's, you know, I'm sure that, but I think it's good. You know, I think, you know, not to say kids these days are weak, but that's, that's when you realize whether this is a hobby or something that's a passion. Yeah. Running in the cold, uh, I'm the same way. So I, I love running in the snow. Like when the snow is yeah. coming down in those big fluffy flakes, there's Ooh. nothing better. Now, I will say though, I, I do enjoy running in not the heat, but like running when it's comfortable is much more <laughs> enjoyable in terms of like being able to get through it. True. But, uh, but yeah, there's something about running in the snow that it just seems almost magical. Um, yeah. But so Colorado, so you moved there when you're nine to Littleton and you're running outside. So have you always been a runner or is this something that you learned from your family or when did you start running? Well, so when I was, it's, it's kind of a fun story actually. So I was, I was nine years old. So this was just before we moved and I saw this movie, um, that was about the life of Billy Mills. And he was this Native American um, runner. And it was about him kind of running through just like these crazy obstacles. And, you know, some of them were, um, you know, coming up in hard family, coming up with, you know, not having, you know, a, a real good family inside that and coming through just all these obstacles and being a minority and all these things. And, and of course at nine, I didn't put all of that together. I just knew that this guy was cool and, and he really liked to run and that movie just inspired me. And so literally that day, I think I had like some little Converse flats and I, and I threw them on and I told my parents I was going for a run and, and, and following that run. And I literally think it was like around the block. Um, the, they were previewing the, uh, Boulder Boulder. And so that was, I decided on that day and it was probably like early spring, maybe a little bit later than where we are today, but I was going to run the Boulder Boulder. So the Boulder Boulder is it at the time, I think the Peachtree Road Race has now surpassed it, but at the time was, was, um, I think America's like largest 10 K and, and so my dad and mom said, okay, that's great if you want to run this, um, but you got to train and what's your plan? And, and so that was the first time that I really had to like think about, okay, you know, we're not just going to run around the block. Like I have to be able to run around the block today, but be able to get to 6.2 miles at that point in time. And so it would took over a couple of months. And I remember my mom, she would join me on runs sometimes because I would hit like that four and a half mile mark. And I was mm -hmm. done. I was like, this is stupid. What was I thinking? And I remember at the time I had a Walkman. And so I'd run with the actual Walkman in my hand with a tape inside of it. And, um, I think it was like, I had the tiger probably playing on repeat. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, then push came to shove and my parents dropped me off at the start line by myself at the age of nine. Like, I mean, I'm trying to think of your kids. Are they, are they nine right now? Like, so Monty's eight. right near. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So hit fast forward by, you know, a little less than a year. Jeez. And so, and at the time, I, I don't remember, maybe there were 
30,000 runners, I think, give or take. So being a little nine-year-old, your parents say, okay, we'll see you at section 221 at Folsom Field. Um, um, We're expecting you there at about X time, which was the intention was that I would run it in sub one hour and which was like just over a nine minute mile. And, and I was in Corral W. So and starting at A. And so like navigating porta potties, navigating, you know, like just getting your shoes tied and the whole bit and getting to that start line. And then you just hear this immense crowd around you. Like that's when I knew. I'm like, this is my space. And and running and high-fiving the crowd, which is still one of my very favorite things to do because they have come out to watch you run. Like they're giving up their day for you. And I still think that's just one of the coolest things, but then coming into that finish line and it, and it hurt. I mean, I was definitely, it was six, six miles and all that was left was the point two. And it was just this little incline that led into Folsom field before you come and the huge crowds that are inside that filled up the stadium. And I'm looking up into the crowds, trying to see my parents and I see them there and they're looking at their watches being like, wait, we would, didn't expect you for like another 10 minutes and stuff. So it was just one of these things that was the most amazing thing. And when I crossed that finish line, I was, I had such a feeling of pride of like, okay, I can do this and I can do it by myself, but how great is it to have people that are around you and, and surrounding you with that love? And so after I, you know, crossed that finish line, I knew that that was it for me. So That's so cool. I mean, I got chills thinking about that. And I guess anytime you really perform and especially you perform well at like a high yeah. level in front of a crowd. I mean, that's it, the, the high you can get from that is crazy. I, yeah. I think it's really cool. So it's cool that your parents dropped you off and just kind of let you go. And we're like, all right, is we'll, it? we'll is see it in an cool? hour. It's that's, cool now. Okay. It's interesting. <laughs> but it, it's almost, it's interesting in a way uh, of like that support. Cause yeah. like you say, Oh, well, you know, I've got an eight year old son. Like you asked me how mm-hmm. old Monty is. I can't imagine sending him at eight years old or, or even in a year and saying, I'll see you in an hour and and good luck. I'd want to be there the whole time, like running, encouraging, like, like almost lifting him up. Uh, Mm -hmm. I wonder, do you, and maybe you can speak to this about your parents upbringing of of you. I mean, how did you take strength in the fact that they just kind of let you go? Well, I guess what I would say, you know, not to be too tongue in cheek about it, but my parents are pretty logical people. And so the, as soon as logistics played into that, they're like, well, there's no way that we can really get on the course and be able to see you and then get to the stadium. So, so I think that was, that was it. But then I think it was also kind of like, let's just rip the bandaid, you know? And, and I was a pretty independent kid, um, as well. And, you know, honestly, like, I, I was never nervous that I wouldn't find them. You know, I felt, and this is, you know, well before the the time of cell phones or any of that. So I, um, you know, I knew my address, I knew my home phone number, and and I guess I, I put, you know, caution to the wind, but I do think that there was a lot of it. I mean, my parents, they, they encouraged me, they, they pushed me. Um, but at the end of the day, it was always my choice. And I've tried to instill that, that same, that same feeling and request to my kids, you know, now it's like, you, my only deal with my kids is that if you, if you sign up for something, you see it through for the whole season, 
you know, we don't, we don't quit. And, and so I think that was always the deal with my parents. I mean, it, it started from, you know, from the time that I was little and they still are very much like that. I mean, even, you know, getting down to the, to the trail 100, I mean, it's, you, it's support in a very different level, but as you know, from, from going through that, there's only so much love and encouragement that gets you to the start line. And as soon as that gun goes off, it's you. And, you know, it's, you can't have anyone holding your hand, you know, in the depths of hell, um, you know, when it gets really hard. Yeah. We've talked about, um, we've talked about that same thing with our kids and I always tell them, Pretty much exactly what you said, because now we're signing up for youth sports and, you know, Monty's doing lacrosse and Sam's starting baseball and lacrosse and things like that. And I remember the first time we signed up uh, for baseball and we were in Atlanta at the time and it was, I don't know if it was the T-ball or whatever, but Monty had a bad like one or two practices and he was, Mm -hmm. you know, he was younger than a lot of the other kids and he was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go today. And I said, you know what? I can recognize that, that fear, that hesitation but you chose to do this and you can quit when the season is done, but you made a commitment to that team and you're going to see that commitment through. And it's, it's at least a conversation that we have in terms of like honor that commitment. And, and hopefully, you know, once you see it through, you recognize that, that it was the right thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's something about quitting in the middle that just, it, it, it really grates on me. We all have, we've all made that mistake at one point in in our lives. And, you know, I, I just, that feeling of not finishing something far outweighs the struggles of fighting through it. It, I mean, what do you learn from quitting other than you were right? You know, it's like, it's either going to, you're either going to succeed or fail. And and if you quit, you're right about however you decided that to, to work. But if you see it through, I mean, so maybe you don't do that sport again, but at least you have the the full picture and not just the the story that you created, you know, in one or two bad practices. Exactly. So, so that race was, you were nine years old when you ran Mm -hmm. your first race then 10 K. So, and then you joined like the school running team or cause you ran high school, right? I did. Yeah. So, so shortly after that, I guess it was that summer we moved up to Leadville and, and in moving there. So I think I was going into, I was still, I think I was fifth grade when we moved up there. So I had a couple of years where I was just, you know, just a kid with a BMX bike and just, you know, doing my thing. Um, I, and then it was when I got into the kind of the end of sixth grade that all of a sudden like these coaches and cause I would go out and run or do whatever. And, and I was the kid who enjoyed running on my own. I, mm-hmm. you know, it was not like our, probably how I am now with my kids, like go outside and go for a walk, please get some exercise. And so I just kind of did it on my own. And so these high school coaches, I guess, just kind of took note that, that I had moved there and apparently I really enjoyed running and may have been half decent at it. And, and so they started watching me and, and I ran, I guess our middle school, you were allowed to run even in sixth grade on the middle school team. And so I was running and I was, and I was winning a lot of the races. And the, the kind of funny thing is that I had really, really short hair. And I mean, I was mistaken for a boy for a very long time. And it, uh, so I would, I would beat many of the boys and, and they would come and be like, you know, who's this kid that beat me and says that she's a girl, but she's a boy. And, you know, and, and the girls would come up and be like, they put that a boy won our race. And, you know, so it was, it was just like, there was all this banter, but ironically it, it fed 
my, my ego and been like, fine, like, I don't care if I'm a boy or a girl, I'm going to try to beat you all. And, Mm -hmm. and so starting to run it, you know, at that age of like, I guess kind of end of sixth grade, you know, where my, I mean, my youngest Ansley is now at, you know, at the tail end of sixth grade. And, and so, you know, at the age of 12, starting to, to run and get medals and realize that there's a carrot that's there. And if you work hard at something, you, you know, you will continue to get better. Um, and so that's really all it took. And, you know, to have some of that, that motivation coming from the coaches as well. Um, that's really, it, it didn't take much to get me to, to want to, to go out and do well and do better every time too. And yeah, I think it's nice to have that carrot, obviously. I'm curious mm-hmm. sometimes. I mean, it's it's great that you were succeeding like so early. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people don't, right? And then you yeah. question, you know, how do people persevere when when they're not getting that carrot? Yeah. Was there times where you kind of felt like, I don't know if I should be doing this or I don't know if I can do this? Or did you always kind mm-hmm. of have that confidence? No, I mean, that, and that's such a great point to, to talk about too, because, um, I don't, I don't know anybody, you know, professional runner or athlete, much less, you know, or not that doesn't go through those, those trials and tribulations. I mean, growing pains, we'll call them. And I remember specifically in high school where I was starting to get, you know, some interest from colleges looking, looking at me and that pressure just started building and building and feeling like, yeah. you know, why am I doing this? And, and at that point too, I was also competitively cross country skiing. And between the the two, I, I remember starting to feel just like this, this suffocating feeling in my chest that it's like, you, I couldn't get a deep breath in and that I just was overwhelmed by, by it all. And I ended up deciding to take take a break from cross country running, even though I had gone to nationals and placed in nationals, and I but I just decided like practice wasn't fun anymore, and and I just I felt like I needed to start pulling some of the things back um, and really focus on my running. And again, like my parents totally, you know, they they checked me on it, you know, gut wise. Um, but they supported me at the end of the day. And so that was sophomore going into junior year. And to, to kind of set the, the moment of this story. So I, I won both my freshman and sophomore year state championships. And so, and I was only on varsity, I think on varsity. Yep. Wow. So it was myself. Um, so I won and we were a one, a to three, a at the time. And it, so it was myself. And then there's other, this other girl named, um, Rebecca McDougall and I'll never forget her because she was, she had done the exact same thing. She was the same age as me. So we both as freshmen and sophomore won our divisions in state. And all of a sudden, like these state newspapers were like, Oh my God, this is the first time in history that this has happened. And can these girls, you know, go four for four. And, um, and so leading into my, my junior year, I was in the best shape of, of my life. I was running strong. I was running consistent. I mean, I was, I was breaking my own records and I was ready for state like, like I had never been ready before. And, and I will never forget it. And this photographer actually caught the moment as it happened, um, about, I think it was about maybe a hundred yards into the start. So in cross country running, it's always a mass start. So just like your typical road race now. So it's all the girls lined up, you know, let's say, you know, 150, 200 girls lined up and, and I got tripped. 
And I went head over heels and fell and rolled and runners are jumping over me and got a spike in the back of my leg. And, and I am in dead last place and was favored to win. And I kind of sit up and I, I feel fairly confident, you know, it's like, your mind goes into that, that place of protection, (laughs) you know, it's that fight or flight instinct. And so I got up and it was never even a question in my mind. Do I just call this or do I run? And I got up and I just started running and I knew that there was going to be no way that, that I won that day, but I was going to do everything in my power to, to get back up and at least finish the race because it, you know, in, in cross country was interesting too, because it's not just about you. It's also about your team. And we had been team state champions for both of those years as well. And so, and so the point system works like you've, you, you still need to show up for your team. And, and so I just, you know, I don't remember a whole lot of the race, but I do remember passing, you know, people and running, faster than I I could ever imagine now. And of course, you know, we didn't have like heart rate monitors or anything there, but I'm fairly certain that I was well into anaerobic state at that point. And, and I crazily enough, I ended up placing third that year. So I, I passed, you know, that many people and, um, I was real, real close to even getting into second, but I mean, in my eyes at that time, I failed, I failed. And, Initially, I was really proud of myself that at least, you know, I got us to, to a finish. Um, but then like all this self-doubt took over me and months down the road, it was like, you know, initially there was all this conversation that, oh, it was another team that intentionally tripped me. And, you know, and, and I just, it didn't matter at that point. And, you know, ultimately we, we learned like it was actually a teammate of mine and her feet just got tangled up. I mean, it, it happens. It, you know, and so... Mm-hmm. I learned so much from, from that, from that race that it's not about winning. It's about showing up. And I think that, you know, having that hit me in the face and have to go through kind of some of those more adult emotions that sometimes, you know, life just throws you a little bit of a curveball and it doesn't matter how good of shape you're in. You still, you still have the responsibility to get up and finish because if you quit again, you'll never know what, what could happen. And, and I still think like, Oh, I wonder, I wonder what would have happened. Like if, you know, had all of those things not happened, but I also think that, you know, life is not meant to be easy and, and not to say, you know, Rebecca went on to, to win her addition, her junior and senior year as well. Not to say that, you know, she had an easy go of it either. I mean, she trained her butt off as well and, and was also playing soccer at the time, you know, but I'm able to now look back on it and say, well, maybe that was an important moment in time for me that it changed my trajectory just a little bit and, and allowed me to, to not be this immortal being to myself and say, okay, like that's, we're, we're all right. And we can overcome this. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's, it's actually interesting to think about the purpose of getting up and going almost being that, that team too, and knowing that you mm-hmm. had accountability to these other people and you guys were in it together. And I mean, had you hesitated whatsoever? Uh, I mean, who knows? Third place probably wasn't going to be yeah. likely if you took another yeah. couple seconds to sit there and think about it and, and just yeah. being able to identify that purpose saying, okay, mm-hmm. like I may not be able to win, but 
we're a team and I owe it to them. We've spent the whole season working for this. Mm-hmm. I've just got to get up and, and get after it hard. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a powerful, that's a powerful thing. And I think it's important in, in so many areas is understanding, you know, we're in a lot of this together. It's, yeah. it's not always individual and individual accolades are fantastic and you should be, mm-hmm. you should want to be the best you can be. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, your team, your family, your friends, anytime yeah. that you can bring other people up through your own hard work, I think it's, it's really important. Yeah. I really do. So then that was, that was your junior year. So then you ran your senior yep. year. Or, ran my senior year yeah. and I, I ended up kind of having, so I had a great season as, as a senior, but ended up with uh, bronchitis um, oh, at state. And so I did run, I did, I did finish, but again, you know, it was, um, it was kind of just one of those things that it was like, God had a plan for me and, yeah. and that that's what it was. And, and ironically, I was starting to feel a little bit burnt out, like, you know, running competitively from, you know, for 10 years in that time, in addition to schooling and, you know, preparing for college, I had scholarship offers and I ended up turning them all down and decided that I needed to go back to learning how to run for enjoyment. Um, and just taking, you know, I was, I was thinking about walking on to the, to the college, you know, that I, that I ended up going to and ultimately decided that it was just not the right time in my life that I just really wanted to invest my time in just being a college student and having that experience. But, um, there are days like, Yeah. You know, though, I, I will say, and I tell my kids this too. I said that, that to this day is my one regret. I, because I feel like I quit before I gave it a shot. Um, you know, when you, when you get a scholarship offer, you ought to see it through. And, and it's that whole business, like give it one season, like see what it would have been like. And I think I was so, so scared of failure at that point being, you know, being 17, 18 years old. It was like, God, you know, I don't know if I can, I can take any more of this, of this pressure. And, um, and that's probably the only time, I mean, I would never say that I'm you know disappointed in my parents for not pushing me, mm-hmm. but that's the one time that, and we've talked about it as adults now that I wish they would have pushed me just a little bit harder to say, maybe just see it through, you know, it's, you, you can always be done after a season, but you know, what if? Yeah, that's look, that's, that's people have a lot of, and I don't want to say regrets because you are where you are and you've, you know, got this amazing life and you've accomplished so much. So I don't want to say it's like a regret, but at the same time, you know, hindsight's 2020 in a lot of ways. And and you do wonder, you do wonder what, what could have been. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, you, you know, it's, it just is what it is. There's, there's mm-hmm. things that you pass up on and there's things that you do and, and, you know, you wonder where, where it could have taken you. Um, yeah. but so growing up in Colorado though, I mean, Colorado, man, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. It really is. And it sounds like you were, you just valued being there and outside. I mean, how did just being outside affect you personally? Well, at the time, I would say probably like most kids, I did not value it. <laughs> I don't think it was until, I mean, you know, it was always beautiful and, and it never, it never escaped me how lucky I was to live in such a great place. But then, you know, kids are funny in that. Like, I also looked at it that, you know, oh, I'm living in such a small town. You know, I had a graduating class of, I think there was 52 of us. And so, you know, mm-hmm. you always want what you don't have. And so yeah. I was like, oh, I can't wait, you know, to, to graduate and go live in a city. And, um, 
you know, be around a lot more people and, and all of that. But, you know, now as an adult, and, and I feel like pretty much as soon as I, as soon as I left, I recognized what I was leaving and have just tried to always go back to that because especially as I've gotten older, I've realized just how important it is to be in, in nature and to, to be able to, to kind of stop and look around and realize mm-hmm. just how, how little and insignificant you are compared to the world around you. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's critical. And, and I do, I feel incredibly lucky that, that I got to call Colorado home for, you know, the first 25 years of my life. Um, it was, it was really, really important. And it's something, you know, we still talk about it with my kids. Like I would, I would love to find a way for us to be able to move back and, and have them be raised in a situation where, where I was. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, hopefully everyone can feel that way about their home, you know, whether it doesn't matter. I mean, if, if you live in Manhattan, it, it find a way to find beauty in it. I mean, it's, it's your beauty at the moment in time. So, you know, it, don't wish it away, I guess, is, is my kind of my advice to my younger self. Yeah. And then you went to, you went to college in Colorado, right? I did. I did. So I went to CSU, um, Colorado state in, in Fort Collins, kind of on the North side of, of the state. And, um, ironically just, I ended up going there cause that's where my sister was. And, um, it was, oh, I see we have a visitor here. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, I wanted to major in business. My, well, let me take a step back. I wanted to major in literature. And mm. my dad said, you're not going to get paid any money if you major in literature. And so he's like, you need to, you need to major in something with business. You can always go back and, and do something, you know, with literature later, but, and I don't know if he was right or wrong. Who's, who's to say, but, but yeah, so I went to school there, had a great, great four years and then, you know, kind of rolled in and rolled out. Yeah. And, th- and is that where you met Craig? It is. Yeah. So, so he was a year ahead of me. Um, he was good friends with my sister. And so that's how we were introduced. And so he was at CSU, um, when I was there and then he actually, let's see. So he was a sophomore when I was a freshman and after his sophomore year, he transferred to the university of Denver because unlike me, he was serious about what he wanted to do when he grew up. And so, uh, the university of Denver had a really good, uh, finance and business program and, if I'm not mistaken, I think they also like offered him, I don't know if it was scholarship money, but I feel like he, he was asked to come play on their golf team. So how how do you say no to that? I mean, if you're going to golf in college and go to a place where, where you're going to get a great education, I don't think you say no to that. You don't say no to that. So So you guys are together, he transfers and, uh, and then you end up in Atlanta. Right. Yeah. So, so we had, I mean, we dated for about six and a half years, I think is what it was. So you did a lot of growing up at that point in time. And then we were, we were married in 2002. And then like right after we got married, um, Craig knew that he wanted to go and get his MBA. And so he's, he went ahead and took his, took his GMATs and, um, we started kind of figuring out where, where he wanted to go. And, uh, he ended up getting, um, some scholarship money to go to Emory. And so that's, um, honestly what brought us, uh, to Atlanta and really, and truly, we thought we would be here for two years, um, during school. And then we would move right back to Denver, but kind of after we got here, I mean, that's when, my career, I was starting to get a little bit more settled and, and then the opportunities for finance were just so much 
greater here in Atlanta than they were in Denver at the time. Denver was still primarily a tech-based um, part of the country. And so everything there was, and he was already in tech and so, and decided he knew he didn't really you know care to stay in that. And so, so yeah, so here we are, God, I think we're, I mean, we were here in 2003. So we're, I mean, nearly 20 years into this at this point, still trying to get back to Colorado. (laughs) I mean, the opportunities at this point with Denver growing and everything could always continue to grow. But look, Atlanta's a great place and and we loved, we loved living there. And I mean, it's phenomenal. And it's funny that, you know, you say you'd love to get back to Colorado because we honestly came back to to New York for a very similar reason. We wanted to be in a smaller area and a smaller school district for the kids and have that same opportunity um, that we kind of had in a smaller suburb and a smaller district to grow up and really know everybody in the class and and build these lifelong friendships. So that's kind of what really brought us back. And I think, you know, the kids are are valuing it now and and Mm -hmm. we're making the best of it and making great friends and our opportunities Mm -hmm. have been um, fantastic. But I'm curious to know. So now, you know, you're in Atlanta, you're removed from college and you haven't been running in at least competitively in some time. I mean, were you continuing to run? Did you find that that running was fun again or did you stop running? I did. So I did stop running for probably about two years between my kind of the end of my senior year. And I guess I probably picked it up. I mean, I would run occasionally here and there, but I guess I was probably a sophomore in college when I kind of started picking it back up and, and it took a long time to be able to just run for, for the pure enjoyment of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I had to teach myself how to run without a watch. Um, Mm. because prior to that, it was always about the pace and, you know, well, if you're not hitting, you know, four miles in 30 minutes, then you're failing. So I had to come, completely take a step back and kind of retrain my brain of like, what is failure? You know, you're getting out here, you're, you're doing something good for yourself. There's no failure in this. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it's hard. And I felt the same way when I, after I finished my race was I put my watch away and I was like, it's just nice to be out. And that's, I think where I really got the appreciation for just being outside running too. I'd go into the woods, I'd go different trails. I, you know, I'd take different paths and I just say, man, it's just nice to get out and you know, Oh, a deer, right? Like I can stop, (laughs) I can stop and and just look at the deer and say, that's beautiful. Or, or, you know, look at that view, the sunrise. And I would just stop. And I'd look, I said, yeah. man, it's amazing. It's amazing being out here. And that appreciation yeah. is fantastic. Well, and that's that what you just said, I think is the most important takeaway is, is that's what we're all seeking. And it's the, the question is, can you slow your life down enough to accept that and realize, I mean, we're all in such a, an environment anymore of competition you know, you've got so many applications that are all like, well, how fast did you do this segment compared to somebody else? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, and, and so to be able to find that enjoyment and that's honestly, that's what took me to trail running because it, I was starting to get caught up in that, that feedback loop again of, well, you know, and even, I mean, I jumped into marathons and half marathons and, and, uh, and it was because it was predictable. And I think, you know, that's one of the the real reasons, like you're talking about getting out on a trail 
well, you don't know what is going to be around the bend. And that's kind of the beauty of it is it brings you back to being a child and having that curiosity uh, that you, you start to forget if you're just, you know, running kind of this mundane, throw your music in. And, and I'm as guilty as everyone for, for doing that. But, you know, I think it's good to have a healthy, a healthy balance of, you know, of surprise in, in your day too. Yeah. So you talk about the unpredictable trail run. So (laughs) you go from not running and then you decide, I guess you might do some races, but you go from, you know, not competitively running to deciding that Mm -hmm. you want to run one of the hardest races on the planet. You signed up for the Leadville 100. Why, first of all, did you choose to want to run the Leadville 100? And did you have to do anything to qualify or how's it even work? Well, cause it is a choice, right? Cause you, you have to choose to really be that crazy. Um, you don't just end up on those things, uh, you know, haphazardly. So, well, so again, so growing up in Leadville, the, the race was actually, it was founded in, in 83. And so being on the cross country team, we were in charge of back in the old days, putting glow sticks on trees for the final, you know, 13 miles of the race so that these runners, as they would come, come in and around, it was, there was a lake that, that took them kind of like the half last half marathon. And so we were always involved in the trail 100, um, even in not in junior high, but in high school. So some of us would, would pace runners. Um, and some of us, you know, would, we would always have to go out and put the put the little glow sticks, um, out there and then also go back out and pick them back up. Um, and so I feel like just growing up with that, it was kind of just always, it was just always there. And initially I remember when I was, when I was in high school, I was like, I want to be the youngest person to run the trail 100. And at the time you had to be 21. And, and I, and I thought long and hard about asking, um, Ken Clover to change, change the rules, but then, I ended up having a good conversation with, with this college coach. Um, and he reminded me how important it is for the bones of a child to, to really and truly grow. And if you put that much pressure on your bones and on your muscles, that, um, it could do lifelong damage to you. So crazily enough, I listened to that. And then, you know, then by the time I hit, I guess, 21, I was kind of in that mode of like, yeah, that's, I'm not there yet. Cause yeah. you know, as you said, it, it is a choice. And when you make that choice to, to sign up for something like that, and I think you and I are very much the same, it's, you're, you're not going to quit. You're going to do as soon as, as soon as you say, yes, I'm in, you're in. And as, as far as, so I guess what led me to that is I was, I think it was in 2013, I did my, I, I went and ran my first marathon and I loved it so much that I immediately, you know, signed up for the next and signed up for the next, got into to Boston um, for 2015. And when you have to sign up for Boston, so I, I qualified, I guess, in, in Chicago and and I was just, I think in hindsight, that was clearly like the peak of, of probably where I was at physically. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of just saying yes to anything, anything. Like I was just so inspired by the community of running. And so I was asked 
to to pace a, an old friend um, who I went to school with, and he was coming back to to run the Leadville Trail 100, and this was in 2014. And so I I went there, and I kind of and I had said to him, I said like, do not mark my words by this, but I just I want to go through this experience with you. And I want you to really take me through everything from the side of the crew aspect of it to nutrition, to the running, to the training, and then ultimately, you know, pacing um, for him. And so I think that's really what sealed the deal for me was seeing from the sidelines what these runners commit themselves mentally and physically to is, is just, you know... This friend, his name is is Waltz Cole Clover, um, the race uh, the the race founder's son, and and he said made this comment to me that this race changes you when you start the race and then you finish the race, you're not the same person, and 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 I think that's true really with any any ultra. And, and I think even for some people, it could be true for a 5k, you know, I think it depends on what, yeah. what your mentality is before and what your mentality is after. But, but that's really, that's what made me certain that I, that it was the right time in my life to, to do that. Yeah. So pacing someone, um, cause I don't think a lot of people really truly understand this cause they, they, I mean, look, Ultras are a different game and you go to a mm-hmm. marathon or you know someone that's ran a marathon or you've seen a marathon ran, you see just a bunch of runners and they go 26.2 miles and they're on their own yeah. or, or in a group yeah. of people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're all individually running. Right. And you're going to run a hundred miles. Uh, and I know that Leadville, that you can pick up your pacer halfway, right? So a pacer mm-hmm. is someone that essentially runs with you. Is it the entire latter half? So 50 miles? Or so you can choose. Pacers? Yeah. So you can really do it, you know, kind of how, however works for you. They don't, I mean, they do have rules. Um, ironically, one of the rules is that you cannot have an animal carry anything for you. They, I mean, they've had to create these rules, I think along the way as, as the race has, has gone on in years because these things have actually happened. Um, but the deal is in Leadville and, and every ultra is a little bit different, but the deal is in Leadville, you can have one pacer at a time. And that pacer can carry your, your pack, um, and any equipment, but they cannot, they cannot do, they cannot touch you. They cannot hold you. They cannot like you are on your own. And, and so you can, you can have a pacer. You can choose not to have a pacer. Um, I knew for me, given that it was my first, you know, hundred, I, I was not going to be so headstrong to believe that I was going to do this on my own. Um, so I, uh, so I had multiple pacers that brought me through mostly too, because I was, it it was like a familial experience for me. I mean, I, I had Craig, my husband came and and paced me. He probably would never do it again because I don't think I was very nice by that point in the race. Um, but I had one of our best friends from, from high school, um, also paced me and, you know, she brought me over probably the hardest section of the course. So, and, you know, we'll go back and talk about this, I'm sure, but one of the most important things I learned, I think from that is the job of a pacer is like probably the most important job. And, and so after, you know, we'll fast forward just a little bit here. I have gone back now three different times since, since the, the hundred that I ran and I've paced other people, because I think the experience of a pacer, it, 
it fills my heart so much to know that I have a job and that job is to make sure that this person gets from point to point. And it's like, you're their wingman, you know, you're, it's your job to, to be there for them. And there's something that's just so just really special and and cathartic to, to do that. It kind of goes into this whole like giving back that, you know, it's a community and the ultra running community, especially they, they have mastered that domain of, of community. Um, I think unlike any other sport that I've seen. Yeah, it's uh, well, and it's interesting too, because it's so individual in terms of a competition. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I think is, is maybe a little bit surprising about it because you're not on a team, you're competing against everybody. Um, and you know, I've look, I've ran one race and, and it wasn't even the race didn't even happen. I just ran it on my own. So I'm essentially, you know, a long distance practice runner. But, um, it seems when you hear all these people talk about it or read about it that, yeah, everyone's competing against each other, but they're still all hoping that, that the entire field finishes the race and they're, you yeah. know, as, as excited about someone finishing as themselves. And yeah. it's a, it's a really cool community to, to kind of poke my head in on. Um, yeah. I mean that you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, one of the greatest stories I heard is, um, there was a story about Scott Jurek who, uh, ran and won Leadville. Um, I know he won at least once he, he may have won more than that, but, and he has a book out called, um, running. No, what is this? I'm trying to think now. It's a vegetarian book. It's about him basically becoming a vegetarian. Yeah, and, I read and, it this and, summer. I can't think of the name. I'll, I'll, I'll reference it. But. Yeah. So, but one of the neatest stories is that he, he wins the race, finishes, goes home and showers, and then comes back to the finish line in his sleeping, has a sleeping bag and a chair and sits there and cheers on every single runner till the last runner. So in Leadville, you have 30 hours to finish and, and what he said and what so many others who are these elite athletes have said along the way is that they ran hard and, and, you know, they, these winners will, they'll come in in 16 hours. Um, that's about, about like where the, the leaders will come in, but they say they have so much more admiration for those runners who mentally have to prepare for not being out there for 16 hours, but for being, you know, out there almost double that. And so those runners who are coming in at, you know, 29 hours and 52 minutes, I mean, the way that you can, you can just feel that energy of everyone encouraging them in because they've had to brave so many more elements suffer through nutrition, suffer through, you know, probably injury and then throw in the fatigue piece. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's why I think, you know, ultra running is so incredibly special and it just, and it really does make you feel familial. Um, I mean, I remember I was at mile 45 in, in the race and, I was in, in a bad way. Like my stomach was, was cramping. I was starting to have a little bit of vertigo just from the, cause at that point we were in like the, a big climb in the race. And this, one of these other runners, um, who sadly is, is no longer with us stopped and offered me his entire pack. He's like, okay, I've got salt tablets. I've got Tums. I've got, you know, Tylenol. I've got Gatorade. What, like, what do you need? I've got saltines. And, you know, and and so it's like this grab bag of stuff and you would never see that, you know, in, in, in other, 
in other sports, at least that I, that I can fathom. And, and you, you end up doing that for each other along the way, because that's, you want them to succeed just as much as you. Cause we all know like how much we've given up in terms of being away from our families, time, time actually on foot preparing for this, you know, all of the emotional and physical expenses that it takes just to get you to that start line. So you want to see each other succeed in that. Yeah, it's crazy because it almost brings it full circle for you at that point. You know, here you are junior in high school and you get tripped in in the Mm -hmm. state championship and you're thinking, you know, after the fact, was I tripped by a competitor, you know, and these thoughts going through your head of was someone trying to take me down to succeed. And then Mm -hmm. fast forward, um, you know, 10, 15 years to this, to this race you're in. Uh, as an adult and you see, no, you know what? This community isn't about taking that shortcut to win. This community is about yeah. bringing people up. And it's, it's a really cool uh, kind of full circle story to, to even yeah. hear that. So you, so you, you did pace someone first, right? And how long did you actually pace them uh, in the first race? Um, so the first race, it was, well, and I say pace, I, I should, Cole would, give me a hard time if I truthfully said that. So it was right before the Chicago marathon and I was nursing a calf strain when of course the Leadville trail 100 happened. So, so my, my pacing duties were meant to be about 20 miles with him. They ended up being six and, and he was primarily walking at that point in time. So the good news with that though, for me is that instead of then pacing him, I jumped into full crew mode and, you know, crewing also is, you know, we talk about kind of the, the triangle of an ultra it's, you have your runner and then you have your, you know, your family and your crew, and then you have your pacers and, and that you have to have those elements to get you to that finish line. And, and so I, I remember Cole running in, in 2014 and, and I thought I had everything prepared. You know, he has this list of like, you know, everything from Vaseline to band-aids to, you know, different gel packs and anything and everything. So I, I am there freezing my butt off at five o'clock in the morning, waiting for him at the very first cutoff, which is, and the sun's just coming up and he, you, and I'm sure you've probably read some books about this too there. And and you, and I have talked about this before, but there's a book called born to run mm-hmm. Well, they are big into sandals um, and they're running. And so Cole, I think even to this day, we'll still, we'll still do some running in, in his sandals, but he decided to run the hundred in his sandals. And, 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 and he had trained him. I mean, he was, he was prepared for all this, but you know, you're gonna, you're gonna hurt something. Um, and, and he did. So he gets to mile 13 and you know, it's dark. He's wearing a headlamp. There's rocks. You're on a trail and his entire first big toe is gushing blood everywhere. And this is mile 13. And knowing that you've still got, you know, what, you know, 85 miles to go in this. Um, and you've got across water. So you've got bacteria that you have to think about. You've got dirt, you've got all these things. And thank God his wife, um, at the time she, she was a nurse. And so I think she was able to kind of figure out a little cocktail that they could put on it to keep, to keep the infection. But I'll never forget. Like I think about every ultra now since then is you damn well better have 
some super glue on hand because what we ended up doing, we didn't have it, but another crew did. They had super glue and we literally super glued his toe back together. And I am certain that that is not recommended, but <laughs> it got I, I him. Am, yeah. I'm not a doctor, yeah. but I don't think that's what they would do. <laughs> I don't think it's encouraged. No. So, so even after seeing him go through that, um, I was still like, yeah, that sounds great. I definitely want to do that. <laughs> so, so, but it was a good thing for me to see that, you know, and, and he and his dad kind of jokingly say this, but like, you can have the plan all you want until Mike Tyson punches you in the face. And then yeah. what are you going to do? And, and it's, yeah. that's, you know, and everyone that happens to every single person at some point in their race. And it's been, you know, once you're, once you're set with that, what's your process to get through it? Yeah. I heard, I, you know, I hit my wall, uh, when, when I was running as well. And, and it was, you know, luckily I had Lisa there to, to kind of, figure out with me what needed to be done. And my preparation was, was not great. And, and we've, we've talked about that. So, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about your race, right? So mm-hmm. you go, you go in a year after your pacing, mm-hmm. you decide you're going to do this. So what was the preparation like? And what was the training like leading up to the race? Yeah. Um, well, and so for your viewers, if, um, your listeners, if they don't know. So Leadville is sandwiched in between these 14,000 foot mountains. And so Leadville in itself stands at 10,000 feet um, in elevation. And so knowing that in order to even get to the start line of that, like you have got to be acclimated to to altitude um, in order to start that race and even more so to be able to finish that race. And running at altitude is very, very different than running at sea level. So I, I mean, I knew that by growing up there, I probably had a little bit of a leg up that, you know, I, I knew what it felt like to have burning lungs and, Mm -hmm. and, and how to make sure I didn't have that happen. Um, but really and truly, um, that was probably my biggest fear. And, and knowing that there was, there's about 24,000 feet of elevation change, um, in the Leadville race that, and that is, I mean, that's probably about average really compared to other races like Western States, obviously is a, it's more like a Boston race where it primarily is downhill, which can also be equally as hard on the body, if not harder. Plus they've got heat. Um, then you have the hard rock, which it, I think that, surpasses maybe 40,000 feet of elevation. So, so you kind of start, there was, I guess for me, it was research. And so step one is like, all right. And so I sign up in, I think it was like October and, and, and heard, um, when they did the lottery, like the first of January or somewhere thereabouts. So maybe it was even December. And, and so as soon as I got the notification that I was in, I was like, Oh shit, um, this is really happening. So, you know, step one is, you know, ask your husband, you know, to forgive you in advance for, for not being there. Um, but really and truly I, you know, I went through probably what a lot of people go through. So yeah, you've got to train. I mean, you cannot just show up to these things kind of haphazardly. And, and so for me, I kind of, I put together initially my own training plan, but I knew I was going to need help. And, and so, I, I enlisted, um, I, I had had a coach prior to that and that particular coach, it kind of said to me, you know, this is, this is out of my wheelhouse. And so you, you're better served to find somebody else. And so I actually found a very well-known, um, uh, professional ultra runner who she, 
she had her own coaching business and I thought it was going to be a, a surefire thing. So she puts together kind of this training you know, platform for me and stuff too. Well, it turns out she doesn't really email and she doesn't really, like her communication. It was, it just, it was not what I needed at the time. And so kind of as quickly as that, you know, got going, it kind of fell apart. So lo and behold, I really ended up kind of coaching myself to the hundred, which, um, I, I don't know if I would say I advise it, you know, for it or against it. I think part of it is like, you just have to want it and you just have mm-hmm. to know that no matter what, um, you're going to keep fighting it. So, so I kind of went back to the drawing board and, you know, resourced from a lot of people who had run it before and said, okay, like, what do you do? You know, what do you do for your long runs is, you know, cause the long run for me, I was like, okay, well, I've run a marathon, but mm-hmm. that's, I haven't run further than that. And so um, I, I immediately signed up. There's a marathon in Leadville in June. And then there's a training camp that I decided to do that would be all at elevation. And so my, my goal in the first, I kind of broke it up, I guess, into, into quarters. And so that first quarter, you know, the first kind of three months, um, or not, it was really, wasn't even three months. It was four, four, you know, sessions of getting ready for August, but the winter time, it was like just building that base. Mm-hmm. But ironically, you actually have to keep some speed in there because those those fast twitch fibers also serve importance when you're when you're trail running and when you are fatigued. And so so I was building, you know, building up that base. And it was the hardest thing for me was transitioning from fast miles to slow miles because I was used to running like, you know, on a slow mile, you know, maybe like an, an, an 830 mile. And so to really have to force your body to slow down to like a 930 or a 10 minute mile, knowing that it's not about speed, it's about time on feet. And that's what I tell everybody now is like, if you're doing an ultra, it's mileage counts. Yes. But what really counts is the time on feet that you're putting in because that's when your body really becomes fatigued. So, um, I topped out, I think 32 miles was, was my longest run. I had actually intended to do a 50 mile run, but I could, I was, I was kind of feigning off a couple of just, just nagging injuries that could have become more just, and I really think it was just because I was running so many miles. Um, and it was, my body was just, it was tired. And so, um, if I had to do it over, I would say probably running, you know, that a 50 miler in there, I think is important if you can, but at the same token, um, you know, one of the things that worked best for me was doing back to back runs. So running long on Saturday and then turning it around and running long on Sunday as well. So maybe I ran, you know, I think one, one Saturday I would run like 26 miles and then, then, then that Sunday I would run 15 miles. And so over that time you get to test your nutrition you know, you get to kind of test, you know, what to do when your body starts getting tired, when your head starts getting tired. Um, and ultimately that's what I think, you know, got me to that, to that start line. Um, and having those, those quick little races in between, um, was also good, you know, to just remind you, okay, like this is working or this is not working. Cause I'll tell you running that marathon in Leadville, that was like Mike Tyson punching me in the face because as even growing up there, I, I was not prepared for it. I mean, this was June, you know, the race was three months away and and that race kicked my butt. And so it was good to have that to kind of then say, all right, what's working, what's not working and 
revisit. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, when I was training for the 50K that I did, and I did a lot of those back-to-back weekend runs, um, and, and I think, like you said, those were probably the most valuable uh, runs and training blocks, I guess, mm-hmm. that I had because you get you get that long Saturday run or, or the long Sunday run, but the second one uh, in that block, it's incredibly tiring, and, and mm-hmm. the whole time your mind's going, "Why are we running again?" You know, it's just so many yeah. miles, and it's so much time on your feet, like you said. Um, but I thought when I did my race, and I, I probably shouldn't say this, and my wife would say, "You didn't see yourself during the race." Um, but I thought actually the discipline of the training was harder than the race itself. And I know that my race mm-hmm. being, you know, 31 miles is a, is a lot different than a hundred. Um, but I was almost more proud of myself for the thousand miles that I ran, um, leading up to the race yeah. than I was for the 31 during the race. Yeah. Well, first of all, let's call this what it is. You ran an ultra. And so you need to give yourself props for that. Cause that is, it, it doesn't matter how long or short it is. You did it and you sacrificed the time and the effort to get yourself there. So, um, we don't really, and I think in the ultra community, again, no one discounts that, right? It's, yeah. I mean, at least you did a 50 K, you know, to say, Oh yeah, I did that. Like I, on the other hand, jumped from marathon to hundred, <laughs> maybe not like the most intelligent thing to do, but, um, but yeah, but no, I, I, what you're saying, I think is absolutely applicable. It, um, it being able, I remember hitting my first like 75 mile, um, week workout level and I was so proud of that at the time. And, and in hindsight, I, you know, I joke now that I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, how did I ever even get to that, to that number? And it's really, all you're doing is you're eating, you're sleeping, you're running, you're resting, and then it's all on repeat. And you better be very careful what you're putting into your body at that point in time, because the amount of calories that you're burning was just, was just crazy. And if you don't keep all of that in balance, you know, then you won't get to that race. So I think you're absolutely right in saying, you know, the training, the training discipline is, that is the mental training to, to get yourself to that race. The race is kind of, it's kind of the icing on the cake. Yeah. I mean, the, the painful, brutal going through hell icing on the cake, right? Totally. <laughs> so, I mean, what, you said you got really, I guess, in a bad place, right? And a lot of people say like that pain cave or going yeah. through hell. I mean, so what was, what was the worst point? What was it like? They, so, and, and, you know, and I had, I had such good people around me. And so it's like for every, you know, I kind of went to the race. Like I had all this stuff like written on my hands, like, you know, just reminders, like when, when it gets bad, like think about this. And, and I remember having someone tell me to focus on the little things, focus on the little things and the big things will take care of themselves. So when you get to that bad place, and for me, it was at mile 50. So the way that Leadville works is you kind of go, you go out and it is, it's a fairly flat ish. I mean, you've got a couple of big ups and downs until about mile 40. And then from mile 40 to mile 50, that is where you do a substantial amount of climb and descent. And so you go up and over a pass that tops you out at um, 12,600 feet, and then you drop down 
and you turn around and you come back. Mm-hmm. So at mile 50, where I had just come up over Hope Pass and, and, and then declined down into to the valley, and my dad was there waiting and I was dealing with stomach issues kind of on the way up and, and just, and fatigue and I had blisters, like just all the things start really nagging at you at that point in time and really started creeping into my head. And so I got to mile 50 and, and I just, I remember sitting in this chair, like at the aid station and being like, I don't, I know I need to get back up over the mountain, but I couldn't physically think about how I was going to get there. And one of my very good friends, um, his pacer and, and I actually, so I was lucky enough to run Boston with her as well. So that my friend's name is Eric Strand and his pacer, who is, um, also ironically his cousin, her name is, um, is uh, Susan. And Susan came up to me, she was getting ready to, to pace Eric, who was at that point, just a little bit behind me. And she comes up to me and, and, um, his other, his other pacer, uh, Dan, they both come up to me and they're like, all you have to do, Leslie, is just put one foot in front of the other, just one foot in front of the other. And don't think about 50 miles down the road. Don't think about, you know, all this that's still to come. It's just one foot in front of the other. And, and really that was probably the most important advice that I received because it put everything back into context. And that's kind of how life is, right? Like you can't think about how everything's going to work out, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you have to think about the right now in order to get to that, to that point in time. And so that I think was the only reason that I, that I truly finished. And I told her that I'm like, I really credit her that it between having her and then having, um, my dear friend, Jenny kind of pick me up at mile 50 and, and handled that part of the pacing. And she grew up in Leadville. She works, you know, for the department of wildlife. So she, she knows those mountains like the back of her hand. And so we just talked and we talked about, you know, things from childhood. And before we knew it, it's like in, in an ultra running, especially you don't have, you know, a peak in a valley, you have peaks and valleys. And I'm sure that you, mm-hmm. you notice that as you go, like there are highs and lows, um, throughout the entire race. And you just, when you hit a low and you think like, there's no more to this. It's like your body is able to do this kind of insane thing that it is able to overcome. I mean, the mind is just wild to me that it can, it can see past. It can say like, Oh, I see my body is hurting really bad, but it's okay. We still have more to go. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so you say like one foot in front of the other. I think that's such a perfect, it's a perfect way to look at it. Uh, it's just taking on whatever challenge is, is coming at the time, right? If you were, if you took a step back and said, I've got 50 miles to go, um, mm-hmm. and, and tried to wrap your head around the 50, it, that yeah. could have been overwhelming enough to make you say, you know what? Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I can't do it. But I know, if you're saying, I'm tired. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you say, well, I'm hungry right now. Well, mm-hmm. I, there's a solution to that. You yeah. Know, or, or I'm dehydrated right now. Well, okay, yeah. let's, forget, let's forget the 50. Let's talk yeah. about just rehydrating. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's a really, important, a really important thing. And the way that I looked at it um, when I was in my race was that, I wasn't going to stop. And, and the, the nice thing was I didn't have like a time crunch because there was mm-hmm. no race. You know, mm-hmm. I had a goal in mind and I, I really wanted to, and I'll be completely forthcoming with this. 
I wanted to run 31 miles in about five and a half hours. And, okay. um, yeah. and I thought that that was going to be achievable based on the fact that, you know, my last training marathon, I did in under four and a half hours. All I had mm-hmm. to do was add another, um, what is that? Five, five more miles to it, five and a half miles. And I could easily mm-hmm. do that in an hour if yeah. I was able to run that same pace. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely underestimated what those five miles would be and also what like the elevation was going to be on the course. Yeah. Um, there's a I, lot that changes and yeah. well, and two, I mean, I think Ryan, you running it in a virtual format running by yourself actually made it harder because you don't have that camaraderie of people around you, um, to keep pushing you, you know, all you have is that five inches between your brain, um, or between your ears that is, is saying I'm tired and I, and I kind of want to be done with this. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I kept passing cause you know, I'd mapped the course out and I kept passing what I knew was supposed to be an aid station. And it was like, it was taunting me because like, there's someone that's supposed to be there giving me water and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I yeah. was carrying everything with me. I brought two water bottles on me and I brought, you know, some Gatorade pouches and, and some salt tablets and things of that nature. And my first actual aid station was uh, slated to be at mile I think it was supposed to be 19 was going to be my first okay. station. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well I've ran 20 miles without any aid before. So this, this is not a big deal at all. Right. And right around mile 16, I, I, I'm calling Lisa and I'm going, I need you to come closer. Cause I'm out of water. I'm so dehydrated. I'm in pain. I need water now. And, uh, and she ended up coming like a mile closer to where I can meet her. And at that uh, point she, she saw me and, and was like, this is, this isn't good. Cause you only brought two extra bottles of water with you for me to give you. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's where I was like, can you please go to the store and, and get a case of water and yeah. you get food? Cause I didn't bring any right. food. I brought, um, I packed some pretzels and I packed like oranges and apple or no, I'm sorry. I, I packed the, uh, the gels. Okay. And, uh, and I was like, can you please get some fruit? Just go to the store and get fruit. So she, mm-hmm. you know, went to the store. She got oranges and apples and water and, and met me three or four miles later, which I walked that entire three or four miles to get to the yeah. next point. And at that point I was cramping up so bad. And, and I was texting different people saying like, how do I get rid of these cramps? You know? Yeah. And, uh, and I, I ate a couple apples when I met her, ate a couple oranges, drank four bottles of water you know, that, that I wasn't planning yeah. on drinking and, and just sat there. So then and you're kind of waterlogged water. as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I, I was so dehydrated. I just had to. And, uh, and then I knew that I was just going to have to get up and, and, you know, keep going. But that, that preparation, you know, on my part was poor, but I think, you know, had it been an actual race, it would have been a lot different because I would have had at least seen other people stopping at aid stations, right. kind of encouraging, you know, get this drink of water here, take salt now, eat here. Mm-hmm. And it would have at least kind of set that pace as like, okay. Right. Th- this well, is the thing is like when you're feeling good, you, you, it, to have that discipline to, to be reminded, oh, I need to, in order to keep feeling this good, you know, miles and miles down the road, um, you know, I've got to eat now and I've got to eat consistently. And that's what they say, you know, ultra running, especially, I mean, it's, yes, it's a foot race, but it's really an eating race. Um, because that's the only way you get from start to finish. Yeah. That's amazing. So you finished the race. What it feel like to finish? Exhausting. 
I mean, it's, yeah, it, um, I remember, you know, finishing and God, I don't, I don't know that I've ever been that tired in my life. So it took me, it took me 28 hours and 23 minutes. So there's a 30 hour cutoff. Um, my goal to, to kind of talk in perspective like you is like, so we, cause we all have goals. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be possible. No problem for me to break 25 hours. That was my intention was to break 25 hours, but I kind of being the planner that I am also broke it out. It's like, okay, well, if, if I, what, what time do I need to hit these aid stations in order to finish kind of worst case scenario and then back it out? So by mile 75 where that, I think, yeah, I was knowing that I had like about a marathon to go. That's when my body was just, it was so tired. And, and I just, I knew that it was going to be just get it done at that point in time. And it it was going to be a lot of walking. And by the time I finished, you know, it's like all of that, all of that pain, it goes away um, because you're just so elated. And I remember seeing my girls and Craig um, at that, they put out like a red carpet for, for you for like that last hundred feet that you're coming in and crossing that finish line with, you know, the three of them, knowing that, that they had sacrificed, you know, just as much, um, as I had just in different ways, it, that was probably the most special moment. Um, and then of course came the after effects of no sleep and being on your feet and, you know, and all this weird stuff in your body that you would not, um, normally put in your body. And there, I remember, like, I think I finished it like, I guess it was like eight o'clock or eight 30 in the morning. And there was the award ceremony was at 12. And so I'm like, okay, well I'll just get home. I'll get a shower and I'll just, and I'll lay down for a little bit. I got home and I, I almost threw up on the car ride back to my parents' house because there's just all this stuff. Like you finally stop and it's just kind of just a gush. Like it, there's water coming out of my eyes. You know, I think there were tears that of just like elation and exhaustion and all the things. And then it's like your body. I remember my stomach just churning, uh, you know, and I went and I laid down and I, they had to wake me up. Um, it, like I'm still in all of my dirty gear and they had to wake me up in order to make it to the ceremony on time. And what no one reminds you or tells you that's going to happen is how bad all of your, uh, like your fingers and your toes are all going to swell. Like, I don't know if you had this happen, but you know, after the race, like my hands, they, they, they looked like marshmallows. And, and so it's like everything, my eyes, every part of my face was just swollen and disgusting. Um, so you're, you know, you have all these feelings, but once all that went away and, and I had this, 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 they give you a belt buckle when, when you finish and, and you realize like you've done all of this, you know, for the belt buckle, but you've also done it to prove something to yourself. And, and I think it was those following weeks after the race that I realized how I had inspired so many other people, not necessarily by running, you know, so far, um, because really and truly like in my, in my opinion, anybody can do that. It's, it's just about mind over matter. Um, but it was about showing my girls that if you put your mind to something, you can do really hard things as, as a girl, like don't let anybody stand in the way of your dreams. And, and so that to me was probably what really came to fruition at the end of that is, 
you know, I thought that I could do hard things. And at the end of it, I was like, yeah, you know, I, I can do really hard things. And it has changed how I respond to, to different situations now since then. And, and maybe you have felt the same way. It's like when you get to kind of that, the depths of hell in, in your mind and, and you really, you see yourself come through it on the other side, it changes you. And it, and it gives you, I think, a greater sense of perspective of what the world is, what, um, what you expect from others, what you tolerate from others. Um, I mean, there, there have been, you know, several instances where I've, I've really, I've questioned friendships, um, you know, after and said, is that, is that really serving me, um, anymore Mm. at this point in my life? Because I think it, you have a lot of time by yourself to think about, um, the things that you, that you do and, and to make whatever you do, it needs to matter. It needs to count. I love that. I love the fact that the trophy for running a hundred miles and putting yourself through hell is a belt buckle. I, know, I think it's right? the coolest thing ever. And, and honestly, it probably it's probably one of your most prized possessions. To oh be, yeah, yeah. But at the same for time, sure. yeah. But at the same time, like it, it's a belt buckle, and it it goes to show. It, it's not the material things in life yeah. that are valued because you didn't right. run for the belt buckle. You ran to mm-hmm. show your girls that that girls can do insanely hard things. And mm-hmm. if you put your mind something to it, or if you put your mind to doing something, you're capable of doing it. Right. And that lesson that you were able to teach your girls and that lesson that you've been able to teach so many other people through your actions is so much more valuable than a belt buckle or, or money or, mm-hmm. you know, accolades. It's, you can only achieve that, that by doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not something that anyone can just give to you. You can't buy that. You have to put in the hard work and you have to earn it. I think that's awesome. So you say, so you say it's changed your perspective on a lot of things and Mm -hmm. I don't want to take up that much more of your time, but I think this is important um, because one of the things that's been really inspiring uh, since, since I've known you and uh, the reason we actually know each other is because you worked Mm -hmm. with my wife at a tech company. Yeah. And uh, you guys worked together for a couple months, maybe a year. About a year, I think. Yeah. It's, but I think that's about right. Yeah. And then um, you decided after a year of working with my wife that you were going to leave the company and Mm -hmm. you ended up starting your own photography company. Can you talk to me about what went into that decision? I mean, that was before your race, but. Yeah. Yeah. The race was, you know, it was fictional at that point. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I loved, I loved what I was doing and I loved working in in corporate America, but I think it was when I was, I was pregnant with, with my oldest at the time and, you know, and, and and as your wife can attest and probably, you know, any mother or father that's out there can, can attest that things change when your kids are born and priorities change. And, and so when, when Lauren was born, my intention had been to go, to go back. And as soon as I saw her little face, all of a sudden I was like, I don't know, I don't know how to do that. And, and so I thought that I would, I would take a break. I mean, the, the, the job that, that I was in, it was, it was good, not great. I would say like, I was, I was happy, um, enough in what I was doing. The people were fantastic. So I really enjoyed that, but, um, you know, it was a lot of travel and stuff and that I knew I was not willing to, 
give up that time with my child. And, and given that too, like Craig was traveling a lot at that time because his career was really just starting to flourish. And so I knew that I didn't want someone else to, to raise my child. And, you know, I will say this with a giant asterisk now, I mean, hats off to, to all working parents out there because it is, it is not for everybody, but those who make it happen, I think it's, it's a tremendous feat, um, because you're giving it your all, um, in your, you know, eight to eight to six job, then you come home and then you have to put, you know, the parent hat on too, which is, is not easy. Um, but for me, I was lucky enough to be able to stay home and, and after the birth of Lauren, I did some consulting work just on my own. I was in marketing and advertising prior. And so I just, I kept up with some pieces like that. Um, but then after Ansley was born, I, I'd been taking, you know, a lot of pictures and stuff and I had taken a couple of classes and it was really Craig who, who encouraged me to go into it. Um, I, I loved photography and I always had, it was kind of back to that, you know, wishing I would have majored in literature and something mm-hmm. in more of like the, you know, the fine arts part of this, because that's really where my, my love has always been not so much in, in business and budgeting and all of that such. Um, and so Craig had bought me, um, a, a great camera that, and I, and just encouraged me, he's like, just, you know, go take some classes, start taking pictures. And so I did. And, kind of like I've told Lisa, your wife, that you, you kind of just have to get out there. And, and so I did. And I, and I, you know, started my business small from, and I really just, I practiced a lot. I did a lot of free photo shoots for friends and, and asked for their honest feedback. Um, and then I guess it was probably about a year or so after that. And I had probably taken about, I don't know, probably 60 to 80 hours worth of classes as well. Um, and had a lot of professionals critiquing my work. That's when I was like, well, you know, I think it's time to do this. And so I opened up and started my own kind of natural light uh, photography business focusing on families. And, and that was, I mean, Ansley is 12 now. And so it was about 11 years ago that, that I started that. And it's, um, I just rebranded, um, this, the past year. And as I was telling Lisa, I mean, all of my clients that I started with who were little, like you guys, you know, were one, one of my early clients, all of those kids are not so little anymore. So my company name and kind of everything that I was about before, I feel like I had to reinvent a little bit in the past um, couple of years, because some of these kids that I started photograph- or photographing when they were small, they're now in high school. And, and now since then, I've also been asked to do corporate headshots and it seemed kind of odd to have a company called Sweet Peas and Sprouts doing, you know, headshots and such. So, so it's just, but it's been such a great ride. And I feel like it's been a way for me to, to channel my creativity and to, as you had said before, to be able to be outside and, and be silly. It's, you know, I think that's really fun. It's funny how you can be silly with other people's kids too, when, when your kids don't want you to be silly with them anymore. And it's just, it's been fantastic. And it's given me also the flexibility to be mom when I need to be mom, but still give me something that fulfills that business acumen um, that I know that I need. And so that if I ever did want to go back into the corporate, corporate world, any way, shape or how, at least I know I wasn't doing nothing because as a mom being at home, there's a lot of guilt that comes with that too. It's there's, you know, this guilt of, 
you know, what am I, what am I worth, um, anymore to, to anybody? It's, you know, it's just long, long days, um, and short years. And, and, you know, to kind of bring that full circle with running, yeah, that's part of the reason that I decided to do the hundred too, because it was something that I could do on my own for myself. And it didn't need to have anybody else invested in it for me to, to prove that I was enough. And, and I don't know that that's probably the healthiest thing, but I think that, you know, those of us who, who do ultras, I think we're, we're all seeking something that is not, you know, quite within our grasp. Well, have your goals changed? I mean, what, what's the next five, 10, 20 years look like? Um, one step in front of the other, right. You know, right now it's just, um, you know, the pandemic has, has, thrown things in crazy ways. I, I think for me right now, it's just trying to, to stay healthy, to, you know, to make good, good life decisions. Um, you know, it's, I, I try to come up with, I don't know, Craig and I were just talking like, okay, at least at this stage of our lives, let's try to find something new that we can do each year. So this year, my, my hope is to learn how to play, to play chess well. Um, you know, I just, like, we have to, you know, not to completely age myself, but I feel like, you know, our, our brains are starting to slow down just a little. So we have to, you know, find different things. And the pandemic has given us plenty of time to think about uh, what exactly that's going to be. So, so yeah, I think right now that, like, you know, the goals are just, um, just get, get through each and every day. You know, Lauren, my, my oldest is going to be a freshman in high school next year. So I feel like I spend a lot of time just kind of staring at her being like, how did this happen? <laughs> You know, and, and so just being a, you know, a present mother and a present wife, I think is, is really critical. And then, you know, still making time to get out and to either run or to mountain bike or just be outside, um, I think is, is just critical. Uh, what's the most impactful book you've ever read? Oh yeah. So you asked me about this. So I, I, I wrote a couple of down and, and I referenced it earlier, but I think born to run is probably one of my all time favorite, favorite books that's written mm-hmm. by uh, Christopher McDougall. And it's, it's not just a book for runners. It's a book about running, but it, it also in, encapsulates, I think a little bit of what everybody goes through. I, I think it's, it's a really great book. And then one of my other goals that I started um, last year was to read uh, historical nonfiction uh, one every year, you know, just to pretend to be smart sometimes. So I read the book river of doubt, and that was about uh, Teddy Roosevelt's journey um, through the Amazon. And that was a, it was kind of an, an unexpected surprise um, of how great a story it was. And it was just about this, his journey going through and, and discovering this, this new part of, of the Amazon. And so it kind of goes back to the whole, you know, it, he, everybody quit on him and he kept going. And, and so I think that resonated with me a little. Oh, that's a really cool, uh, cool story. I'll have to check that one out. If you could sit down for a drink with anybody in the history of the world, who would it be and why? Well, it would have to be apple juice because I thought about this a lot, but I think I would sit down with myself when I was little and, and I would have a conversation with myself and, and just kind of ask what was important to myself at the time and, and, and challenge myself, you know, to, to do great things and, and, you know, ask myself why I loved what I loved and, just gather all of those, um, you know, kids are just so free with everything that they do. And so to, to find out what the, the free Leslie would have said at that time, I would love to know. 
That's a cool answer. I love that. What would the subtitle of your autobiography be? Okay. Leslie Corwright, Run Like a Girl. I love it. I love it. Any parting thoughts? No, I mean, thank you so much for your time. And I just have to say, you know, you you talk about me being an inspiration, but I really feel the same as you. I mean, you have been on a tremendous health journey and you have not let scientists, uh, you know, and the science itself stop you in your dreams. And I think, you know, I, I turn just the tables around and look at you and say, you know, don't cut yourself uh, so short with, you know, running an ultra, whether you decide to keep up with that or, you know, tackle something else new. I'm just so proud to know you and so proud to see um, just you overcoming obstacles that, uh, you know, certainly doctors never thought that that would be possible for you. And, and I'm very proud to know you. Oh, well, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you so much. Where can people find you if they want amazing headshots or family photos? Yeah. So they can find me at uh, www.wanderphotography.com. And I'm on social platforms as well, though. I think like all of us, I'm you know trying to distance myself just a little bit from that and actually participate in real life these days. But but yeah, Wander Photography. And I'm, I'm starting to branch out into some more landscape and taking some of my love of the outdoors. Um, so I'm starting to sell prints as, as well. And that's my, my goal this summer is to get back out into the mountains and capture some beautiful prints that I can put up and sell as well in addition to you know taking pictures of gorgeous kids and families. What an amazing story and an amazing person. If you're looking for family photos, headshots, or any landscape photos, go check out Leslie's stuff at wanderphotography.com. We've used her in the past, and she is amazing. If you like this story and you like this podcast, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. Until next time, make every breath count.